Hello, I'm Paul Scott, and today I'm talking to Gordon MacArthur, the founder and CEO of Beaks Financial Cloud. Welcome, Gordon. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Not at all. And then just the disclaimers, um, I do hold a small position in Beaks shares personally. I'm not charging any fee for doing this interview, and this is not financial advice, so please do your own research, listeners. Um, Gordon, we last spoke in October 2022, yep. um, and since then there's been remarkable growth at Beaks. So um, that's why I asked you back to, to, to have a catch-up. Uh, I appreciate the results are coming up fairly soon, so you're limited in, in terms of what you can say about that. So I thought we'd focus on the, um, on the, on the recent contract win announcement mainly. So, um, but to start off, please could you explain in, in high-level and simple terms that anyone could understand, what does Beaks do? Um, yeah, I'll try my best, Paul. Sometimes <laughs> it's not easy to, to do it in full layman, but... Um, so, so Beaks Financial Cloud are a, a cloud computing provider. Um, you know, I think most people understand what cloud computing is. You know, we are the cloud for capital markets. So we deploy infrastructure in exchange data centers or financial services data centers and connect directly from our cloud infrastructure into exchanges or venues or banks or brokers, um, meaning that you know, you get a low latency connection between our cloud and the exchange. Um, you get zero packet loss um, over um, an internal direct to direct, direct, uh, direct connection rather than going over the internet, which is important in our world. Um, and you get guaranteed performance. Um, so we sell compute resources and analytics to our clients in, in various shapes and guises, depending on what the particular product is. But we're no different to a, a, an Amazon or a Google where we'll charge a monthly fee depending on the resources that any of our customers consume. And, and we've got flavors of offerings that may be too, too onerous for you know, a general introduction. But, but that's it. I mean, we are specialists in financial markets, capital markets. We don't do anything else. So our entire business model is around building a technology stack and a support business and a quality of service business that supports that niche capital markets um, segment. Great. And I know you have all different terminology for your various product offerings, but I've simplified it in my, my own mind by just calling the deals small, medium, and large. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, well, is, that, is that too simplistic? Or? No, I mean, listen, I, 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 could just, I could just put um, our product names on top of all of those. So, no, you're, you're bang on, right? We, you know, we've started, <laughs> and when the business started, it was all small deals, you know, a couple of thousand pounds a month, you know, with hundreds mm. of clients. Um, and then, we, you know, after IPO, we kind of went into medium with without going into the particular product areas. And then large, over the last three or four years, you know, we have tackled and managed to get some large transactions. And that's really the, the future of the business without walking away from the, the small and medium stuff. So, yeah, with taking the product names away, it's a great way to look at the business because small was legacy, medium, still very big growth engine for the business, and large is always where we'd aspire to be even 10 years ago when we, we started mm. the business. So, so no, it's, uh, I like it. It's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the one that you've really shouted about fairly recently was Johannesburg 
Stock yeah. Exchange, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It wasn't on my agenda, but maybe you could talk to us a bit about that one. Yeah, sure. So, GSE or Johannesburg Stock Exchange, um, I think we, and forgive me if I get my exact dates wrong, but um, uh, I think we announced it um, tail end of summer last year. Um, so, Johannesburg Stock Exchange, like most stock exchanges in the world, most major stock exchanges, have their own data centre. Um, they have their own data centre in the, the bottom ground of their building in, in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And that's where the matching engine sits, and the matching engine is just what an internal exchange uses to you know, match trades between buyers and sellers, technical term for some software and hardware. So the matching engine sits in there, and then all of the customers congregate around that matching engine in the same building. Um, and connect directly via fiber over the roof into the matching engine. So that's a typical model for an exchange. Um, and so there is no hyperscale cloud presence here. You can't just go and get an AWS instance or an Azure instance and connect directly. Um, so customers have to deploy their own infrastructure, and that's the same as if you're a small, medium, or large client. Um, so that's problematic. A lot of people have now embraced the cloud for every other aspect of their business, but yet they then have to put in trading infrastructure themselves and support it themselves when really they've kind of de-skilled from that when they've moved CRM and email and everything else into the cloud. Um, so we provided Exchange Cloud to the GSE um, and we enabled them to become the cloud. Like that's our strap line for Exchange Cloud. We have deployed our cloud infrastructure into the Johannesburg Stock Exchange building. They then offer that as a service to their clients under the GSE contract and framework. Um, so, you know, we have a direct commercial relationship between IPC, our partner, and the network side, and, and GSE, and GSE fill that environment with their clients. So they sell the Beaks cloud as they call it. Uh, Colo 2.0, so colocation 2.0. You sell that to the client. So that went live, and again, forgive me for if the timelines are a little bit out here. I think October, November, um, and has been very well received. Um, I was down in Johannesburg just right back last week. We were at the the big annual convention, and uh, a lot of um, a lot of good feedback around that. So yeah, it's been a it's been a great win for us. Clients very happy, deployed on time. And the uptake has been really strong. Mm. That's good. And the, you, um, more recently, uh, your shares have absolutely shot up about 60% year-to-date, yeah. uh, 6-0, um, on um, the contract win announcement on 6th of February, which really uh, excited me, I have to say, as a small shareholder myself in the company. So yeah. could you talk us through that? Um, I can to a certain extent. Right? Obviously, so we announced um, it's a, an exchange group that we've been working with for three years, three and a half years. So, you know, I, as we've always educated investors and, and shareholders as we've gone along, these tier one organisations do not make decisions and move things quickly, as should be perfectly expected. Right, this is infrastructure that trades literally trillions of dollars of. Um, you know, of, of notional value in a month-to-month mm. basis, right? So it's 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 mission critical stuff. So we've been working with this large exchange group for three, three and a half years, um, and have got you know a, a contractual commitment subject to their local regulator approval 
that they will offer Exchange Cloud to their clients. Same model as the GSE has done. Um, um, they're a much larger, much larger group. So, um, um, but we are until they get that regulatory approval, which um, we don't believe will become an issue. Um, but you know, out with our hands, it's not as we put the submission in. Um, we're not allowed to name them. But as soon as that is done, we will absolutely be um, um, to the forefront with naming them and you know publicly announcing it together. So, oh, brilliant! Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we've always discussed that, that, that you know we will always name an exchange, an exchange cloud um, client because we need to publicise it. Commercials might will probably not be in the public domain because some of it is commercially sensitive and to both us and to the exchange. So, you know, we can name the exchanges, but sometimes the contract sizes and values will not be in the public domain for, for commercially sensitive reasons. So, yeah, so we, you know, we've been told, you know, three to six months is, is really the timeline on the regular, regulatory approval. But that's, you know, it's completely out of our control, so we can we can only react to. But the, the environment is there already. You know, we had to do long term concept technology, um, uh, proving and security deep dive and all that. So it's already there deployed. So as soon as they're ready, mm-hmm. then we switch it on and we can uh, we can start the billing, which is also important thing for us and our shareholders. Yeah, so actually just um, thinking off the cuff, one of my Stockopedia readers raised the question about the regulatory clearance on this large new contract. Um, yep. Am I right in, uh, well, I think I think private investors don't really know whether this is going to be a sort of formality or a, or a you know, standard procedure that you're, 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 you're confident will be okay or whether it's going to be a challenge, a more onerous thing. I mean, I replied to his comment saying, well, I've never heard, heard Beeks mention problems with re- regulatory approval in the past. So, I mean, what, what's your view, Gordon? This is a little bit different. So this is a little bit different. And without getting into, you know, the fine detail, mm. this is a little bit different because of the service that's being offered. Like, it's the Exchange's core data centre, um, and it's under a very, you know, you know, the, the regulator in this particular region is, you know, very large and, you know, wants to oversee anything. So so we've never had to do it before, even with other exchanges. So I, I really, I, I can't comment. We, we have been told they don't foresee an issue, but it goes out into the public domain, right? Well, once the submission is put in place, it will be in the public domain to make comment on. We will, oh, okay. not, be named, we will not be named, but the exchange will put it in the, it has to go into the public domain for the, the regular mm-hmm. the public domain for any other exchanges or anyone to make comment in before they make their decisions. So, I, 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 honestly, we've never been through it before. So I don't know if it's a formality. I don't know if it's going to be a problem. We are, you know, we've been told that the hope it will be a fairly straightforward process. But we have we have no influence or experience. Mm. Yeah, and am I right? I think I'm right in saying as well that the two revised broker notes recently that we can get via research tree. So it's good that you get broker research out to private investors or pond life, as I call us. <laughs> so Canaccord and Progressive have both got notes there that I've I've read, and I think they're both saying that they've not actually included the big contract in the current forecast. Is is that right? Yeah, that's right. Because we, you know, it would be remiss of us having not been through this process before. 
to front run it, right? You, mm. you know, we, you know, I can only react on what you know our client telling us. So, so we intentionally have stripped any revenue rec from that contract from, you know, the, the, the brokers have stripped that revenue rec from the contract for the next uh, financial period mm-hmm. because we simply we can't count on it, right? And and you know, if we were to then add an extra X amount of whatever on and that wasn't to happen, then that would be a yeah. gap for us to fill. So we've, we've, we've erred on the side of caution jointly with working with the brokers and the um, and our advisors. So, yeah, to answer the question, there is no revenue rec associated for next year with this particular client. Oh, that's really encouraging because t- timing of deals and, and protracted deal closures have been a bit of an issue in, in the past, Huge. haven't they? Huge. Huge. And, you know, if they... You know, it's you know, there's, there's some stuff that you know we, you know, as a small vendor, you know, you get promised contracts and a written the contracts, and then something happens, and you know, we, we, you know, I think we've learned a lot over the last couple of years, and maybe we were a little bit naive um, about you know some of the exchange clouds announcements maybe a year or so ago when, when we genuinely thought we were very close. But luckily, they've they've come in since, but. Yeah. yeah, in this particular one, it's three and a half years worth of sales cycle, and you know some other deals. We've been talking to other banks for three and a half, four years already, right? So it just takes a huge amount of time. But as I always say to investors, um, that inertia works in our favour on the on the flip side. Once once you're in, and a bank or an exchange is comfortable with your platform and you guys, and you're an approved vendor, it is very very difficult to be displaced. And that even, was yeah. Sorry, go on, Gordon. And even, you know, and, and we always start small, and I think we always mention landing expand in our, in our, you know, our, our discussion of stock market. Clients all, we are beats, right? We're not Amazon, we're not Google. Clients will always start small with us. So the land and expand once you get in is hugely significant, right? So, you know, we don't expect the world on, on day one of signature, but, you know, we do expect the world two or three years later. So, we have to have a long-term view of the business because expecting us to sign a bank or an exchange in you know a 12, 18-week cycle is not is not reality. But then when you're in, you know there's a 10-year gestation period, and all the way through that, you should be growing your wallet share in that particular account. So it's a it's a you know it, you know we're in a long-term investment from the from the banks and the brokers and exchanges. So and that's just the way it's in. So they take a long time to make a decision and do it. But once they do, we are in there for a long period. Well, that's music to my ears. And I mean this I was musing that really from a sort of Warren Buffett type of approach, this is this sounds to me like you've built a substantial moat around the business that yeah. protects you protects you from competition. Um yeah, I mean, we we have a more. I mean, we, I, you know, I would I genuinely sit in front of exchanges now and say, um, you know, there is no one else in the space that can come anywhere close to us, right? And, and I, you know, I, you know, I believe that um, we've mm. built a, a technology stack that, you know, our historic competitors and, and some of the larger competitors really don't have. And and it's not only that; it's relationship, it's trust, it's you know, investment cycles. You know, we've had conversations with lots of banks, and lots of exchanges over over a period of years, and when they when they they can't move quickly, right? So you know, once once we sign them, despite that, even if a competitor came out in six months and said, 
we've got beaks, the same thing as beaks have. Mm-hmm. People don't just jump on, like, you know, they have to go through the same four-year vetting process that we have, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it, there is a moat, um, but, like, you know, I always worry about that. It's my job to worry about competition. I always worry about it. I always keep an eye out. We're always innovating to try and push beyond where we are. So there is a moat, but um, I think the the inertia within the financial services space adds to that technology more. Yeah. And am I right in suspecting that with each big new client you add on to your client list, that presumably is then going to reassure other uh, uh, prospects in your in your pipeline? It, it, yeah. You know, as more and more impressive reference sites, restaurant customers yeah. build. Are you, is that, am I on the right, right line, sir? Absolutely, and and you know I remember our first <coughs> tier one win as we called it. You know, I think it was about six months after IPO. It was a massive thing for us mm. um, because we had a reference case because of the you know an exchange crowd and proximity crowd. All of the exchanges talked like it's a very because it's not so much competition like the Johannesburg Stock Exchange are not in competition with the Australian Stock Exchange, not in competition with LSEG. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of mind share that goes on between exchanges, particularly exchanges. Banks are a little bit different. Um, so they all know, right? And, and having the, the first couple who have installed it, and don't forget, they're a significant uh, revenue generator for an exchange as well. They're not doing this purely to satisfy customers. They make more serious money out of it. So, you know, having the first couple in successful having referenceability up to the C-suite level who will pick up the phone to another exchange C-suite and say, no, it's worked. We're making X amount of money. It's been very good. Clients love it. It's, it's what, you know, it's what a huge amount to us. Um, you're right. As, as the more the more you do, um, the more and more the market knows and becomes comfortable, but you build up that level of trust and level of referenceability, which is hugely important. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So we've touched on the land and expand thing that generates sort of ongoing organic growth. Because I mean, looking at your looking at your figures, I mean, you must be one of the most rapid compound growth stories on the AIM market. I mean, yeah, I, mean, uh, I, yeah, I think sometimes for people forget. I, mean, I think we've been listed, and again, five or six years, um, mm. and we've been consistent between twenty-five. And, like we listed it. Two and a half, three million pound turnover, right? And gosh, um, you know, probably too small to list as half of the investor told us that we sat in front of. You know, it was only five or six years ago. So we have, I know we get a bit of grief for missing the forecast, some of it was, you know, here and, you know, a couple of times, but to look back over that revenue curve growth, it's been fairly consistent and continues to be consistent. It becomes much harder at higher levels, right? But you know, we, we've we've gone from two and a half three million to what will be, according to the broker note, forty, nearly forty million in space of five or six years. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, listen, we're still not the biggest company in the world. I'm not saying we've not smashed out of the park. We've had periods that have been frustrating, but I look back and say, you know, would I have been happy if six years ago if I said we'd be consistent twenty five to thirty percent for six years? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and of course you had you had the whole COVID thing and the energy yeah. crisis, all that disruption as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What about um, thinking about your customers, the stickiness of the customers, and the churn rate, and what yeah. what sort of element of revenue is recurring revenue? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so I think um, 
um, the art is very sticky, so the majority of it is, you know, we've still got a lot of month-to-month commit on the kind of smaller retail or smaller in the private cloud. Um, you, do, you do see some churn in that, you know, some of the smaller fund managers, prop shops, whatever, go bust, or they just simply stop trading a venue. Mm-hmm. So we monitor the board level, and Fraser, the CFO, he's, he looks at it, and anything, anything over 1% of kind of that ACMRR, that we see in turn, we, we will flag in a, in a you know, you know, in the, in the board meeting. It doesn't happen very often, so you know we kind of see less than one percent on a month-to-month basis of the ACMMR um, that's turned. So it, it's it's a fairly sticky business. Um, the you know we with the bigger deals, we moved into twelve-month contracts, twenty-four-month contracts with Exchange Cloud and Proximity Cloud. You know these tend to be three to five-year commits, right? And and with very large organisations who are trying to get to pay annually in advance and, and all that nice stuff. So, um, yeah, churn's not churn's not a huge issue. And um, the, the revenue recognition, and people have followed us for a little while, revenue rec has changed a little bit with Exchange Cloud and Prox Cloud, where we um, recognise a portion of that revenue on contract delivery, not signature delivery, because we are handing the, the, the ownership of the asset goes to the client um, it can be in the client's data center. So, you know, nothing to do with us. Our, our auditors have told us that's the way we recognize the contract. So there is going to be, and I think we've showed over the, the last couple of releases, we're going to have a, you know, an MRR, you know, monthly recurring revenue and a one-off revenue line because the more important exchange client deals that we do, we will have more upfront revenue that we need to recognise, and then the rest of the revenue is smoothed out across the contract. Nothing to do with us. We would prefer to do it the other way, but the um, the auditors and the financial finance standards say that we we need to take a chunk off them. Okay. Um, thinking more broadly about the AIM stock market at the moment, I mean we've endured. I mean I've been in the <laughs> in the thick of this now. It's just terrible bear market now. Um, yeah. Since mid 2021, really. So, AIM just feels tar- diabolical at the moment. I think we're seeing a lot of private investors are just giving up and buying Nvidia shares. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've got yeah. fund managers who are forced sellers because they're getting client redemptions. There's so yeah. little liquidity in a lot of AIM shares, and share yeah. prices just drift down. Um, but the private uh, private equity and so on are are, 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 are snapping up bargains. So, uh, what's your overall view of how you see all this? <laughs> I'm going to try not getting in trouble here. Um, <laughs> um, um, I think that you know. <laughs> And the subject of beats, right? Every one of our staff's a shareholder or an option holder, right? So everyone has got, mm. you know, an interest in it. And, and we, we designed it that way so that people actually care about it. Um, you know, so we've had to witness and be part of this drift down, you know, um, air market aim. And I think there's a real problem, right? I think, you know, honest, there's a real problem with liquidity. There's a real problem with... Um, you know, the amount of stocks that are available, the amount of money that's available. You know, if you look at even UK fund managers, I mean, you joke about NVIDIA, but how many UK fund managers now solely just invest in US stocks? Mm. And if you look at the difference in valuation between the, the US market, and bear in mind, we're, we're talking to exchanges in the US who vote the valuations around us compared to 
the aim market and compared to private equity valuations. It's night and day. I mean, yeah. even before our uh, forecast increase, I think our valuation at its lowest a few weeks ago was four times next year's EBITDA. For a, for a God, was it really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I'm picking EBITDA right because that's maybe the most flattering for a business model. But you know, you you look at all the other valuations around, and, and we get private equity inquiries all the time. We always have. Um, mm. I'll cover that a little bit. You know, as we go through, but you know, the, the multiples are 18 to 20 times. You know, uh, US private equity. You know, valuation. You, you know, I've seen it in our Scottish company, SMS. I think it was nearly 20 times EBITDA. Um, um, it's very tempting, right? And and it, it's a real problem because it's an asset range from the country, right? If you if you mm. can't protect your listed assets, and you know, I talk to the brokers, I talk to fellow CEOs, you'd be amazed how many people have been approached by U.S. private equity. It's everyone, right? Because really, yeah, it's everyone. They look at some. Of, I mean, look at was it Wing Canton the other day? Yes, they said it. In their, they said it in a statement like we've. We've surpassed the market year on year. There's no liquidity in the shares. We're, we're, we're kind of giving up. But you know, we're, mm. why wouldn't we go private? Um, so there's a there's a real problem when when you get to four times EBITDA, and you can take whatever metric you want, as opposed to eighteen to eighteen or twenty via a US private equity takeout, where they see that you're growing thirty percent a year, and they don't really care about the valuation. They care about the valuation five years <laughs> down the line. There's a real short sightedness. I don't know if it's a UK thing about how we value some of these um, some of these assets. It's not just the US that's coming cherry picking. It's, it's, it's other countries around the world. And I don't know what the answer is, but as, as a CEO, have you been? Of course, you get tempted, right? But you know, I've always had a number in my mind, and we've always been honest about this, mm-hmm. um, where we will accept an offer, right? Where we're not there yet, um, um, but you know we, we were probably unusual in our in our messaging. And said we, you know, we're going to build it to sell it rather than. Yeah, you know, I remember. Uh, I remember you telling me that personally about four or five yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know I have a number. I'm not putting in the public domain, but um, um, you know um, we have a number. Um, so we so we've been unusual and said look we will ultimately sell it and the, and the staff are all aware of it and the shareholders are aware of it but but there's there's companies that run the infrastructure in the UK that are just being picked off and mm. it's a real problem and I, and I don't know what the answer is but um, yeah I think the value the, especially on AIM and uh, listen I know AIM has its challenges right it's not for everyone but there's there's there, there's some AIM valuations out there now that are bargains of the century, right? And, you know, yes. if you've got money sat on the sidelines, is there going to be a better time to invest? I don't know. But yeah. there are some bargains there. Well, that's what I've been saying to my readers for now for the last couple of years, and I totally agree. I think it's tremendously exciting being able to buy, you know, some really, you know, I mean, most of the stuff on AIM is junk, but, I mean, I'd say about, a third, <laughs> you know, about a quarter or a third of them are, are good companies, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, no, very interesting thoughts. Um, thanks for that, Gordon. So um, now just I've, I've got to raise this question because I don't want people accusing me of asking soft questions. So yeah. um, uh, Now, one or two private investors have expressed uh, some criticism of Beaks on the, uh, on the chat rooms. 
of the business model, saying um, the main issue seems to be questions over cash flow. So historically, the business has been fairly cash hungry, although you haven't diluted that much, because obviously you're the biggest shareholder, so you want to preserve, you don't want to dilute. But really quite heavy capex has been incurred. I think it's about eight or nine million a year. Um, to drive that revenue growth. So my question is, do, do you see a tipping point approaching where the business reaches scale to actually start generating that reliable free cash flow? Yeah, I, I it's a fair comment, right? And, and I don't, you know, we, we have been cash hungry as you build out the business, right? But I think people need to understand our model, right? We're, we're effectively an infrastructure company. And if you look at the big guys, AWS and even Google, you know, Microsoft, maybe not so much. AWS has quite often lost money, like substantial billions of millions of dollars for 15 years, right? As mm. they built out the scale and they, they bought the market share. And we've obviously not been at that scale, right? But we've, we've had a similar model where, you get, you have to invest in the infrastructure, you have to invest in the network, you have to invest in the platform, and it's all CapEx. I mean, you know, I think since we've listed, we've raised probably under 30 million, so it's not like, you know, we've not gone out and done what some other people have done and, and spent hundreds of millions and, you know, hoped they would come. We, we've done it gradually. Mm. Um, but to get, to answer the question, yes, there is a tipping point, and and I think you see from the statement we we just made a few weeks ago, the cash balance for the first time had increased, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and we've been getting closer and closer. And, and our fixed, our staff cost and, and yeah, everything that we've got to contain with doesn't grow exponentially with the revenue line. It, it grows much smaller. So after a while, and then again, to go back to AWS, AWS is now Amazon's cash cow, right? It's more yeah. cash generative than the rest of its business. And that will be the same with Beaks. Beaks will throw off substantial amounts of free cash flow that, you know, we're already talking about how, you know, do we return that to investors? What do we, do we look at M&A? Or, you know, however we do that. So we're on that tipping point And, you know, that, as I said, that the, the we announced that we had generated cash for the first half and we expect to see that continue as the business scales because a lot of the investment's now done. Sorry, a lot of investors was? A lot of that investment that we've had to put in place is now oh, done. Oh, the investment's yeah. been done. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Great. Yeah. No, well, it's great. It's fantastic to hear you sounding so upbeat, Gordon. I think that's re- all really encouraging because I've followed the company for years and been supportive of it all the way through. I know. So I could... I could see, you know, yeah, this this business model should work. It's just people have got to be a bit patient, haven't they? Um, yeah. I think we've covered all my questions, including my cheeky last question, what the end game is, but you, whether you want to be floating on a gin palace off the coast of Corfu. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, one day, one day, Paul, I mean, you know, I, I just say I have a number in my head. I've never, yeah. you know, a few of the, few of the board know the number, but, um, um, you know, we will, we will, we will look to exit. And what what that means is, who knows, right? Do we do we do you know a merger? Do we take an over five exes? Is uh, you know mm-hmm. we're going to take us over? Um, but you know, it's not happening tomorrow. And you know, as I said, you know, we get we get inquiries all the time, but we've never taken them seriously because I need to be able to justify evaluation, right? And yeah. the level of growth that we see over the next twelve, eighteen, twenty-four months. 
it would be crazy to take a deal now because there is, you know, there's a metric, and it might be on a very aggressive metric, 18 times EBITDA, but if you're twice the size in two years' time, you know, yeah. the same metric still applies, right? So, um, so, and uh, yeah, well, that you know, I would, you, yeah, that'll happen one day, but it's not, you know, not in the, not in the short term. Yeah, no, that 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 all makes sense because I actually put Beaks on my top 20 list of share ideas for 2024. Um, okay that I published on Stockpedia on the 2nd of January. And one of the key reasons was that you'd been talking in trading updates in 2023 about growth accelerating. And that yeah. is the, the key thing, isn't it? Now you seem to be really building that momentum and getting the bigger deals. And that's what, what excites me about the share. Um, yeah, and, and the, 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 the size of the customer that we now deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know, and I keep telling the staff this internally, you know, look at our customer base, yeah. Not to say that there was a bad cut, like you know, they're, they're not household names, but we are now dealing with the biggest of the big on a day-to-day basis, right? And mm-hmm. they come, with, they come with big check sizes eventually, um, and yeah. that's you know, so it's a so it's a really exciting time over the next 12, 18, 24 months, and uh, you know, we hope that um, as we sign more and more, then uh, you know, the business will continue to scale and uh, we keep everyone happy. Yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck, Gordon. I mean, I'm I'm really thrilled at uh, following this story. It's exciting, and uh, yeah, long may the growth continue. So, uh, oh, any any sort of final uh, points that we haven't covered that you wanted to get across to the listeners? No, I think I think you know we've covered we've covered most of it, and you know we've got the um, we've got a kind of probably um, follow up on the on the results in a week or so's time. So. Yeah, yeah, limited okay. but no, I just the business in a good position, very bullish update from our brokers and uh you know, head down, execute, carry on, sell more stuff. Great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Brilliant. Well thanks, thanks for your time, Gordon. I really appreciate yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> take, I appreciate take the support, Paul. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers, Bye-bye. Gordon. Bye. 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 Bye.